Welcome everyone to another Retail Wire Live. We are here live at the final day at NRF 2024. I'm Ricardo Balmar. I lead partner marketing for retail and consumer goods in the Americas at Microsoft. And I am here with good friend, Jamie Tensor. Greetings all. I'm glad to be back here at NRF, Jamie Tensor. I run uh, a little consultancy called VSN Strategies. And it's my pleasure once again to be with Ricardo. I think sometimes as a partner in crime, uh, trying to bring to you a condensed summary of what the things we thought were important from this show. And there are many, many, and we're gonna try really hard to boil it down to the, the richest syrup of meaning that we possibly can. Right. So uh, so bear with us, we, we, there's a lot to say here, uh, but I think uh, uh, if you haven't been at the show, or even if you have, there's a good chance you didn't get to see everything. I certainly didn't. Yeah, that's true. So well, we probably should start off with the one sort of obvious thing that everyone knows was inevitable to be talked about at the show, and that's all things related to AI. Yes, AI. Uh, it was all over the agenda. AI is everywhere, yep. without a doubt. Without a doubt. But, without uh, a doubt. I, I think maybe that some of the things that I think we, we were talking earlier, we agreed. I, I, I feel like despite the hype, and there's no avoiding the fact that there's a lot of hype, like there always is at the latest technology at every NRF, I came away thinking that there was a bit of a balance or maybe a counterpoint to that, that there were plenty of examples of tangible things people have already done with AI over the past years and a willingness to talk about it and give examples. Uh, you know, I, I, there were some sessions, even I saw retailers uh, talking about something they had done, for example, with AI to augment the capabilities of their store teams, uh, where really? they weren't looking to replace people, right, but they were looking to make the work easier and trying to eliminate some of the mundane tasks. And retailers had examples of that. Uh, I think I even heard some retailers say they had KPIs that they were targeting. You know, one retailer in a session that uh, an AI session I was at said they were trying to save every store associate an hour of time every week with the use of these AI tools at a minimum. Uh, and they felt Very that well. they were achieving those targets. Very well. Well, and I, I agree with you. I, it feels to me like we've gone fairly swiftly from from the uh, you know science fiction stories of AIs taking over the world and jobs disappearing in thousands to a practical conversation about, well, here's a technology that actually is coming of age and that we're able to start to build it into some of the practices and solutions that we use to run our stores every day, make decision-making better, uh, eliminate, I like to call it junk work, but let's say tasks that are repetitive, dreary, Right. And that maybe we don't want our smartest people spending their time on, or even our store people, for that matter, uh, that can easily be automated. Uh, and the other thing that comes across here, as you said, in certain, I don't want to call them point solutions, but in specific areas of practice, there are machine intelligence components that have been in play for a long time. Yeah, and I, we've seen right. examples in things like you know inventory forecasting and supply chain. Now, these are, I'll call them special purpose um, machine learning tools. They are AI if you want to use the technical definition, but what they are not is they are not large language models, the chat GPT type of generative AIs, which uh, I think we've crossed the threshold on in the last year and a half or so. Uh, uh, yeah, it's all artificial intelligence, but it's a, a, it's a different nature, maybe a different animal yeah, now. Right, uh, right. That's where the hype cycle seems to have come from lately. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad that it seems like we're moving through that, at least in our industry, a little bit a little bit briskly and getting back right. to practical right. conversation. That's right. That's right. And e even then, I think some of the, the Jenna, you're right. That's where the, probably the majority of the hype has been because it's the most impressive when you see a demo of, of technologies, right? It's truly creating things 
that are in a matter of moments that would otherwise take you hours, if not longer, to create. But and even those, I've, I've seen example. I think uh, Tractor Supply has been here. I was talking to folks from there as well, and they've leveraged those tools again in, in something that they've handed to their store associates, where they can leverage those language models to just ask natural questions when they Very get well. to answer. So. Uh, there was another retailer who talked, in fact, uh, interestingly enough, that to, in order to put those tools in front of uh, or in the hands of their store associates, they needed to retrain them because everyone now instinctively knows how to search by keywords. But when you're working with these models, that actually doesn't help you. It's, search not, it's not the same know-how. During the AI, yeah. you need to really use a natural question. You know, if people wanted to do a product search in a store because they have a customer asking, where is this particular you know, power tool? Now, you don't just search for the name of the power tool as a keyword. You would ask the AI, where do I find power tool ABC in the store? And that's and then you would get an answer. Uh, and that required some retraining. Well, it does. Well, remember when we all started to use search for the first time mm -hmm. uh, back in, in ancient, in the previous millennium, we had to learn how to do that with some effect or we couldn't find yeah. the results. Right. I think today, sometimes when we interact with chatbots, we don't phrase our questions right. We have we get frustrated. We can't get the right answers. And right. as the more powerful AIs come into play, uh, it's, a, it's a skill. It's a learnable skill. I really think that for store associates and people in management, it's not going to be all that hard right. to learn this once a little bit of consciousness is raised. Take a little time. Yeah. And and remember, the machines learn back, mm -hmm. so they're going to learn our our limitations too and become yeah. better and better at understanding what we're trying to right. get at. Right. So when it, when it comes to answering a question, whether it's about merchandise in a store, whether it's about perhaps a merchandise plan that a uh, that an executive is trying to 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 work out for the you know for the next the next selling period uh, in each of those instances there are going to be better ways to get at the answers and that's something to look forward to i think uh, I, i'm i'm a big as i said i'm a, i'm a i'm a big um um uh, uh antagonist for anything that is junk work right, right. And, and right. if you can automate it and you can trust the automation can we set that aside can we set that 80 percent of tasks aside and then free our minds free our hands if necessary to right. do things that really add value and ultimately more satisfying make it make it a better job yeah i i agree i agree and i think that's true for again so many examples i, I, I don't know that i could list them all but like you mentioned earlier you know even some examples related to supply chain and forecasting which aren't necessarily new mm -hmm. applications that i can see mm -hmm. but i think that the the difference i see is more open conversation about it from retailers, more discussion about right. the benefits and what any individual retailer is gaining from that as an example that's to right. why others should be using it. Sure, uh, and that's right. being promoted a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's also important to distinguish between those large language model, the, uh, the stuff that's gotten the, the kind of general media hype, um, the open platforms for artificial intelligence that essentially, uh, that, that protect nothing, that, 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 that scoop up everything. Uh, for a business application, that's not the place to necessarily set up your artificial intelligence tool. There's lots of reasons to, 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 to keep a, uh, a walled garden, so to speak, around your own instance. And if you have an, an AI um, uh, platform that you're using to drive, whether it's decision making or whether it's merchandising tasks, or any number of other applications, inventory, forecasting, et cetera, that needs to stay in, in house. A short while ago, that was beyond beyond comprehension that we could possibly afford and 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 enable that within organizations. Now it doesn't seem far fetched at all. In yeah. fact, it's been happening in small ways for a while. Now it's happening in larger right. and and, right. and more exciting yeah. ways.
And, and I think there were a good number of, maybe not as many, but a good number of consumer facing examples and applications. Uh, there was one session where um, someone from Walmart was talking about how they've added in, and again, it was sort of a search enhancement, right? So adding into the Walmart app, the ability to uh, ask a natural question about something that you were planning, not a product specific question, but you know, the example they used on stage is what if, you know, there's your uh, a parent trying to plan a birthday party for your daughter and your daughter likes unicorns. So instead of individually searching for party favors that have unicorns, like we would all normally do, you would just ask the Walmart app, you know, wh what do I, what, what do I need to plan a unicorn themed party for my daughter? And then it would return back search results that show you all of those elements. Uh, another mm -hmm. example was I'm planning a Super Bowl party. What do I need? And so the, the search results came back from anything ranging from grocery items to a new big screen TV. No, even I know you need avocados. Exactly. So, so which is phenomenal. Well, we're going to see this constantly. We're going to learn as end users. We're going to learn to interact with it better. And they're going to get smarter at understanding the way we interact with them. Yeah. Oh, so, so one of the applications where machine intelligence has been uh, in play for some time has been in inventory accuracy, inventory forecasting. So can I make a clever segue a little bit yep. into one of the other points? Uh, that is a conversation that we've heard more of from more directions i think certainly from the vendor side of the question here i think uh, uh inventory accuracy has been a, certainly a, a discussion for some time it's a source of loss it's a source of, uh, of both over and under inventories in uh, perishable products anything that's perishable or that can expire or, or go out of fashion you don't want too much of it but you certainly don't you do want to have enough that you can satisfy the demand and it's no longer good enough to rely on instinct to do that. Uh, so the fast moving consumer goods world has been using various forms of inventory management and forecasting and ordering tools for quite a while. It could be 17, 18 years, if not longer. And they've seen the benefits from it. They, I think, have um, found new ways to capture information, including the shelf status and other 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 uh, essential parts of the equation and so they can get more and more accurate in the soft lines which i have to confess because i really am a fmcg type of guy i still find it mysterious and awe-inspiring that bets can be made on, on on apparel orders 18 months out sometimes from a factory very far away in anticipation of a certain amount of sell-through that will happen during a holiday season it's it's um, it's a marvelous mystery. It does look like a place maybe where a little machine intelligence mm -hmm. right. might help narrow those error bars. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you can make the markdown quantities lower, then that's a smashing win. So uh, it seems like that's that discussion. It's more often in the discussion. Uh, a few years ago, we didn't hear that that store inventory conversation mm -hmm. quite mm -hmm. as much. Now there seems to be a really um, a real great emphasis. Pardon me, emphasis on it, and I think that it's connected to the the uh, interest in fulfilling store orders that right. are that are received online as well. Right. So so that that feels like it's maturing a little. It's becoming part of the regular vernacular for right. for the industry, and right. there are definitely references to it all over the exhibit floor. Mm -hmm. well, I think that yeah. maybe takes us also too into discussions that have been happening around returns, right? Where returns Absolutely. have still been a very top theme. That more and more of it. It kind of ties into both, you know, what your point about the inventory management, and I think also what we were saying earlier about AI, and is there an application that makes sense for AI? I know there have been some solutions I saw there where 
the focus was on AI helping you, um, I, I describe it as, you know, redefine how you position the product because the idea then is to prevent the need for a return. Because once the item's purchased, right, and, and what can you do really to control the consumer well, returning yeah. it? They're going to return it. They're going to return it. It sets up a stream of events yeah, that you yeah. just you, can't, you the can't only thing stop. You can control yeah. it up until that moment of purchase and to make sure that it's the right purchase decision without the need for doing things where you're, you're doing a, a, I don't know, maybe it's the right thing. I'll buy it anyway because I know I can return it kind of situation, which you're trying to avoid sure. as the retailer. And maybe there's an application that AI tools can help there. Well, certainly, well, you know, with garments, Getting the fit right is a, is a key is element, right. and there are lots yeah. of there there are lots of attempts, and I think some work better than others. But uh, they're they're trying to incorporate tools where the, that the that a shopper can use to get a better idea about how they will look in a given purchase. Mm -hmm. We see it for eyeglass frames. We see right. it for you know uh, there's a there's a company I've been looking at where you can put in a, a bunch of metrics and get a custom made suit for for not that much money. Um, right. th this kind of thing is depends on artificial intelligence to to um, to drive that. And uh, and the hope, of course, is that they'll be much less likely to be returned because right. each time a return is authorized, a whole cascade of events has to happen that the retailer would rather not exactly. have to bother with and pay for. Uh, it's worth noting that um, one of the major sponsors here this year uh, is, is a company called GoTRG. Their logo is all over the show. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? They help retailers manage their returns yeah. flow. Uh, so it is a big business. Uh, Every time you shave that down by a percentage point, um, money is, is dropping to the bottom line. But it's also reflection about getting it right for the shopper in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that there, there, are, there are, I think, a host of different places where uh, process and experience improvements. They're trying to, you know, shave a little bit here, improve a little bit there, and collectively it adds up. But right. returns cost a lot of money, and there's a question of. Um, uh, what do you do with the product when it's received? Um, and there are some products where there's no point in even authorizing even the return. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And and I've had that experience. I don't Definitely. know if you have, where um, Amazon has said, "Don't bother sending back that part you ordered by mistake." Yeah, just uh, it was it. an honest error. It, it's cheaper for us if you just you know keep it. Right. Uh, you shouldn't do that too often. And there are probably people who abuse that. But that conversation, I mean, that's been going on for a long time. Right. But it does it does uh, connect to um, another kind of process, which is a little more sinister, and that is what happens when somebody stole the item that they're trying to return. And is that is that a good segue into the loss prevention right. question? Yep. Uh, yep. Returns are maybe a form of of loss right. from the retailer, but it's benign in its intention usually. And there's a whole another sinister thing that happens when an entire store is emptied by a group of people who next day are attempting to bring those items back for return elsewhere or right. send them back. Um, that's ugly, and it's gotten a lot of headlines yeah. in, 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 in the past yeah. year. So uh, so shoplifting. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, make, it makes good TV images. I'll say that, and uh, mm -hmm. that's why it's got. But but it's not the only form of loss. That, right. That's the thing. In fact, right. it's not even the largest. I I actually think that given the recent things that in the news leading up to NRF, there was maybe a a lightning. I think a bit of the tone of the how severe that is uh, on on the show floor here it was still being discussed and still being a real problem. Right. And yeah. maybe it was a little overemphasized. 
whatnot in the past year. And so it was, it's felt a little more subdued, I think, in the discussion. Well, more measured. It ain't nothing. Let's, exactly. let's, yeah, let's be clear about that. For sure. it, it matters. And, yeah. and, and, and we're, we're stores in certain locations are forced to take remedial steps yeah. to reduce theft. It actually undermines the experience of the mm -hmm. shopper, right. which is, which is pretty sad. Um, and I, I think about certain drugstores in Manhattan where everything worth buying is behind loose sight doors and you can't purchase it without somebody, to, if you can find them, to come with a key. Uh, that's um, that, that's a real uh, disincentive for purchasing. So it's not just costing those retailers the, the cost of those remedial activities. It's costing them actual sales. And you kind of wonder what's the arithmetic here um, in terms of what we save. And it also sends a message that I was discussing it with someone today. It makes me as a shopper walk into that store and think, this is not a safe place. Right. And that's sort of a, a, terrible, right. a terrible thing to do to the reputation of the retailer. And uh, by the way, the news stories that we've seen, it's kind of the same thing. You right. know, um, right. I don't want to walk into a jewelry store where any minute somebody's going to back an SUV into the front <laughs> and, and try and steal, yeah, you know, break right. into the counter. Uh, I know that's, that's hyperbole, but it, it has happened. Yeah. So, so yeah, the loss prevention right. discussion is big. We know there have been separate events about it. Um, uh, one conversation I had was about whether RFID tagging, which is used principally these days for inventory management, could also help with, um, with that problem of, um, of theft and what happens to products after they're stolen. And it might even help the returns process, too. They are interconnected. But uh, RFID seems to be moving faster to that tipping point where it's starting to make sense for many, not all, but many types of products. Right, right. The tags are less expensive. There are, there are fabric tags that can be sewn into a garment invisibly. Right, right. There are, and there are, there are um, uh, uh, detectors that can be used for checkout, for automated checkout. Uh, one, someone I know described the, the bins in Uniqlo stores where you just throw a bunch of garments in, mm -hmm. it reads the tags, they get they get pushed out the back into a bag and you walk out the door. Yeah, uh, this is it's a nice convenience for the shopper and yeah. uh, also they have a very precise uh, uh, set of data about what's being sold in yeah. those instances. Yeah, I do, I do think there's a little bit of an RFID moment happening in, in what we it see. It is. You still can't uh, put them on soup cans, but yeah. but maybe maybe that's not what we but care about. That's okay, right? Yeah. Maybe that's okay because yeah, that's, that's right. not one of the ones that need. Where um, so yeah, I do I do think there's definitely a little bit more happening in that space right. than there was before. So, so here, here's a, how long that technology has been so around. Here's a notion we can posit about this. What happens if we, if we collect that data and it's, it's shared among retailers so that um, uh, an item, so that patterns can be detected in theft mm -hmm. and resale and use that to actually help support enforcement and also to decline to accept a return for something that's already known to be on a, on a, a list of items that were stolen. Right. Uh, uh, could that be enough disincentive for certain behaviors that we we really would like to see um, uh, uh, decline in the, in the population? Yeah. yeah. So we will right. we'll, we'll circle back to that one day. But yeah. uh, I thought yeah. I thought it was a I thought it was a thoughtful suggestion. Yeah. Very well. well. I think we can't there can't be a retail show without a, a discussion in our, our next point here around uh, retail media. <laughs> right. You can't, can't avoid that one. So there was the whole. Uh, there's a whole day for I think it's the first time I see NRF had a pre-day dedicated to retail yes. media uh, yeah. with a number of sessions. Uh, I, I wasn't able to attend those, but um, there were also at least one other session that I think we both uh, 
Yeah, we, we did. We did a ten. Yeah, yeah I wanted to send my clone on Saturday. I just, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't muster that up. It was, it was an entire day. It was yeah. eight or nine sessions, yeah. Yeah. and uh, but there were several here that mentioned mentioned that, and one uh, I think that stood out that we both looked at. Yeah. It was kind of a summary of retail media. It, it included um, um, uh, well-known analysts, Andrew Lipsman, right. uh, representatives from both uh, Walmart's platform and Walgreens. Walmart. So the great mm -hmm. walls were yeah. both there. Uh, talking about uh, yeah. about uh, uh, yeah. some of the developments in, in, and, in that cycle. And I, I, I kind of came away. I think there were some key things. I mean, a lot of the themes are recurring. Uh, I think we can go back to probably things we, we both saw and said at the grocery shop that were similar. But um, I, to me, this is one of these areas where the the momentum is not declining. It's still growing. That's true. It's still accumulating. And although there is, I think, a very legitimate debate as to, you know, people want to ask the question, well, just how many successful retail media networks can there be? Not every retailer can have a media network. And I, I view that as, you know, there's some logical things that have to be true, right? For a retailer that is a specialty retailer where they're fully vertically integrated and the only products they sell are their own, it doesn't really make sense. Right, and you're not going to see as much of a strong need, I, I believe, for well, it to be successful. They're not going to pay themselves to advertise no, their exactly. own products. So who, who's going to yeah. pay to advertise them? They would, and, and that's one of the things that we we've not seen in store, for example, uh, advertising in these networks for uh, something that's not products sold there. Right, so you're not going. You know, what would you see an automotive company, for example, pay a retail media network for an ad placement? Right. You know, no, but I, yes, but, but I have, I have seen, potential. I have seen uh, a manufacturer, Porsche comes to mind, yeah. in fact, mm -hmm. where they develop a, a, a content network in order mm -hmm. to push out the most exciting content to their dealership network. Yeah. But, uh, but they're, they're not paying advertising fees to do it. They're invested mightily right. in exactly. the platform yeah. itself. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So I, I think you're right. If, if you're a hundred percent private label, Right. Then the only justification for having a quote unquote retail media network is because it's going to drive greater sales of your own products. Right. Not a bad thing. No. But there are several ways to accomplish that. Right. right. Most of the discussion we've seen has been about incremental revenue for the retailer right. and for endemic products. That is right. products sold in the store that are provided by brands. Right. Uh, this is a way to ask or, or try to garner additional spending. Uh above and beyond the traditional promotional spend and uh, allowance support that, that uh, have become traditional in the business. And uh, there's, um, there's, there's good reason to do this. I think from what we can see of the numbers, the growth, and I don't know if you, had, you wrote down Andrew's forecast, but it was at 70 billion. Yeah, it's uh, for, I think it's for this 70. year, um, what I found that noteworthy is 60 yeah. billion. Yeah. Um, and, and revenue and spend uh, yeah. for retail media networks, but yeah. that is equivalent this year to media ad spend on linear TV, which yes. I think the eye-opening thing that he presented is that that means that by next year, retail media will overtake uh, linear TV, yes, and that by 2027, it will be more than double right. linear TV so, ad spend. And this, this is not just because the retailers wish it to be so. It's also mm -hmm. because the brands have, have enough feedback from their activity so far to believe that there is a payback. Right. And so they're steering their, their dollars there, but they're also making an investment in their know-how and personnel because mm -hmm. managing that much spending is a complex undertaking. Yeah. So, you know, that conversation you mentioned earlier about can, can, can more smaller networks exist? Mm -hmm. uh, it comes down to how much bandwidth do the brands have 
because they want to reach those audiences if they right. can possibly do they it. Can, yeah. uh, the issue is right now it's not yet manageable. Right. Uh, but right. there are there are platforms in the future, I think, that'll help mm-hmm. make make those decisions better. And maybe it's not about buying the network. This is my thought, mm-hmm. but about buying the audience and then using yeah. a set of retail media tools that help right. you optimize that reach right. across a variety of, of channels. Yeah, I, I, I do think I didn't hear it talked about uh, here, but in, I have in other places. But I think there, there's this potential that when you start to look at these smaller networks, you know, when you move beyond a Walgreens or a Walmart or a Kroger network, um, what if those smaller retail networks sort of connect, you know, gather together, right, and form their own sort of retail media uh, aggregate network, right, and and found ways to work to, and present it that way. So then you could have 10 smaller retailers right. that in total add up to a Kroger right. or a Walgreens. Exactly right. right. We have, so in this country, certainly we have wonderful regional grocers exactly. who cannot, uh, who have trouble competing, and they were setting up their networks. And though the, the, the distribution of product through those channels is very important to retailers in each of those geographies and in aggregate equal if not more important than the very largest retailers but there's still progress to be made there's still process to be created to make that efficient and effective yeah so so work certainly work to be done i think this was talked about again here uh in measurement right measurement uh and andrew lipson made the point that measurement makes markets that once the measurement tools are in place to your point, Jamie, right, so that the brands have an easier time to manage all of this, exactly. then that kind of opens the floodgates, right? Exactly. It opens the ability for them to invest more uh, because the audience is there. I mean, he pointed out that Walmart's in-store audience, if you compare their foot traffic, right, to, to Walmart, that's double the major broadcast networks in TV yep. in terms of yep. audience size. So that yep. has to be appealing uh, to well, brands. Well, well, it is, and, and they're beginning to actually have in place the, the, the screens and the channels to start to put right. messages out there. The brands who make those investments are going to want not just a head count, right, but also direct connected evidence right. that their investments in each of these right. messaging channels actually it results in measurable improvement in sales, mm-hmm. in brand equity, uh, and, and certainly in, in, in their, uh, their total relationship with the retailer. Right. I think for their board. Walmart, I think, sets a pretty good example, and they're not the only one. I think they're determined to provide that evidence. Mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. I, I, but uh, you know, it, it's been kind of the money first, and the conversation's quite complicated because now we see and we hear of, of meetings in which the merchandising team has their hand out asking for the, 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 the allotments of, 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 of uh, uh, promotional dollars that they've expected to always have. The, the network team is asking for investments in retail media, and the brand is saying, well, it is a finite number I'm working with. How about we take some from here and move it to there? Mm-hmm. Well, I can assure you, retailers are not investing in retail media networks just to see money move from one pocket right, yeah, to another. Absolutely. But they are, I think, reluctantly, or maybe now just pragmatically accepting, well, some of it should move. To yeah. places that are ultimately more productive in total right. for and all of us. Better margin in, right. in and, I, and there are definitely hints well. in the discussions yeah. today that that's um, that, that that kind of uh, practical thinking yeah. is taking hold. I mean, the, the payoff is so great that yeah. uh, maybe people and, are willing to adjust their minds a little bit right, around it. Right. And, and I think it's also why, you know, there was uh, we, we saw evidence of all these other partnerships outside of the retail space 
that these networks are making, right? Whether it's with the trade desk, whether it's with uh, Pinterest or social media networks or connected exactly. TV platforms and streaming right. TV. When you take the, you know, what matters to the brands at the end of the day is the consumer data that they're getting access to for these ends and the ability to track, you know, did my campaign work? Did I have more consumers buy my product because I invested in these ad networks? And the more the retailers can establish that connective tissue to all these other mediums, then that makes them the preferred source. Well, it comes back to the data and um, maybe this is a good way to sort of wind this down, but retailing more and more, it's It's about about stuff, it's about people, and it's about the data about the stuff and the people. And And, uh, the, the, the audience information, and we've, we, you know, we've talked about advances in that area for years right. and years. It's enabled this thing where maybe the brands are, I, I think they're mostly uh, positive about we can get more for our spending this way and perhaps also speak more specifically and uniquely to right. individual shopper segments that, um, in, in ways that really serve them well. So right. it should be a win all around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure there'll be hiccups along the way. And I also think that this is, we're still kind of in the nascent stages yeah, as big early. as it is. Right. We ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. It's still developing. And I think it's only got at this point, I don't think we're in a place where we're should be talking about, is there a bubble that's going to burst? It's still in that growth mode and it's still in that early, early stage. Yeah, very well. Yeah. Well, so, so as usual, uh, we, we could go on. We could go on. <laughs> we but, could go but, on, but we won't. Yeah, but it, to be merciful to, right. the, to the audience, we, we're, we're going to try and wrap it up. And, and there'll be other opportunities at other shows. Uh, Ricardo and I have done this for a while, and mm-hmm. it's always really enjoyable. I, I can't imagine being with a, 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 a smarter, uh, uh, a smarter uh, a companion on this kind, of, this kind of task. And it's a privilege to speak to all of you in the audience. So, uh, NRF, uh, with its 40,000 people and 1,000 exhibits, and uh, it was about 150, 160 presentations. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's overwhelmingly big, and we've just mm-hmm. been able to give you a little, a little, a little, little, in, yeah. a little insight yeah. into a corner or a few yeah. corners of it. Uh, uh, I hope that uh, those of you who are here will benefit from it, and those of you who weren't here will at least get a, a sense of the flavor of this thing. It right. is, it is, it's a phenomenon this year, as it is every right. year. And I think we can kind of close here and let everyone know that, you know, if you did miss out on NRF, there definitely was a sense of excitement and buzz. Uh, The crowds were here. uh, So anyone who was wondering what would people attend, is is there still, you know, a desire to to come to a show like this? I think the answer is a resounding yes. Uh, Uh, We're we're back to those pre-pandemic levels where where the world is moving on on and we're, everyone's ready for it. Truly, the, the energy is great. Yeah. So so thank you for listening to us. I hope that we enlightened you a little bit. Thank you, Ricardo, for you, uh, uh, making me look good. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I can't wait to do it again. That's right. So we'll sign off here and we hope that everyone uh, remembers to join us for online discussions at retailwire.com. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Good day.